Oh my goodness, come on. It is Easter, he is risen, folks. Happy Easter, get well. There we go. It's 9.30, y'all, you should be awake. It is so good to be with all of you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever had a moment, or maybe even a season of life, where expectations did not match the experience that you had. Ever been in that place, right? Like expectations versus reality. I think sometimes it's that our expectations are bigger than whatever it is we experience. It might be a trip that you take or a meal that you have or something that you go to enjoy and it just doesn't quite live up to what you hoped it would be. But sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes uh, the experience that we have is better and greater than whatever expectation we have, whether it's a trip or an experience or a meal or just something that happens in your life. And it's so much better than anything that you could have ever imagined it would be. And then there are times in life that we just don't even have a category to anticipate or prepare ourselves for what's to come. If you set me down 20 years ago and said, this is what it's going to be like to be married, to be a parent, to have to adult in life, I would say, you are crazy because I just did not have a category to anticipate the highs and the lows of what was going to happen in my life. And maybe you can resonate with that as well. But here's why I share that is because I think I believe that is our relationship with God as well. That God stirs and moves and does things in our lives that it's not just bigger than what we expect, but we don't even have a category of how to prepare ourselves or anticipate what God is about to do next. And this is not unique to you and I. This has been the story of God's people from the beginning of time. If you're just joining with us today, you haven't been with us, we've been walking through a series called The Thread. And we've been looking at the thread of Jesus through all of Scripture. How do we see God's redemptive plan to save us and set us free and restore us and, and transform our lives through Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, from the first creation to the new creation? And what we find through that whole story is that the people of God could not anticipate, they could not prepare themselves for what God wanted to do in their lives. And because of that, Time and time again, they settled for less than what God wanted to do. So let's take a look at where we've been. We started this whole series and we talked about creation. And if you remember, God created in love and he created for his glory. And then God began to make promises that I'm going to move in your life and you're going to be my people and I will be your God and I'm going to bring you into the promised land and, and I've got a hope and a future for you and I'm going to bless you so you can bless the whole world. But because the people could not anticipate what God wanted to do, they struggled to believe what God wanted to do. They continued to do life on their own and they struggled. And God had to continue to come and save them. He saves them from slavery. He saves them from uh, just attack. He saves them from sin like time and time and time again until God has to finally say, listen, uh, you're not getting it. And he lets them leave into exile. 
But God in his grace, he brings them back and they still continue to struggle even as they're rebuilding the city and they struggle and they struggle and struggle until finally, several weeks ago, we talked about there was a period of 400 years where God did not speak. Total silence. And the people were waiting and they were longing and they were yearning for something, for God to move until finally Jesus breaks into the world. He breaks onto the scene and he does something brand new that's not just bigger than what they could have expected, but there wasn't a category for what Jesus came to do. And he gave his life that you and I could be free from sin and death. He defeated death. He rose from the dead and then he initiates us. He says, now that I am alive, you've got a mission, you got a purpose, you got a story to tell and we are thrust into brand new life and we get to be a part of this beautiful body called the church. And we share in the purpose and the mission of God, but we do it with an anticipation of something that God is still at work. And we know and what we explore today is that Jesus is coming again. And we wait for the return of Christ. Now, here's what I love about how God works in our life. God loves us so very much that he does not want us to miss when he's at work. And so he prepares us and he tells us about it and he moves in our lives. There's moments where you hear God speak or you see God in his word or things happen in your life that are so far beyond coincidence that you know without a shadow of a doubt that it is God and you look and you listen and you're waiting to hear what God is gonna say. You're looking to see what God is gonna do next because that's the way God is. He loves to nudge us and pull us and, and bring us along and say, here's where I'm working in your life. And that's why we have this beautiful story of God's plan. He wants us to see what he's doing. And this is the way that Jesus was. Through his ministry, through his life, he continued to share with the disciples, here is what I'm doing. I don't want you to miss it. Specifically, there are three things that Jesus told his disciples over and over and over again. He told his disciples, Jesus said that he was going to die. He told them, I'm, gonna, I'm giving my life that the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Anointed One will give. He comes to suffer and die for you. You see, the disciples, when they jumped on board, they saw the miracles. They saw the teaching. They saw this incredible rabbi, this teacher that they had never seen like this before. And they wanted to be a part of it because they thought, well, this Jesus is coming to be king and he's coming to overthrow Rome. And that's what I want to be a part of. James and John come to Jesus. They want to sit on his left and his right. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking for. I didn't come to rule in an earthly kingdom, but I came to die. Jesus told them that he would rise. That yes, he was going to give his life, but three days later, he would rise back to life. That the tomb would be empty, that there would be new breath, new hope, a new mission. That, the, that God was going to thrust them into something that they could not possibly imagine. But Jesus, knowing the human heart, knowing uh, the way we struggle, he, he told them that they would not understand. Jesus told them they wouldn't understand what was happening. 
He told him that when I die, that you will scatter, that you will deny me, that you will be overwhelmed with grief and loss and fear. You won't understand what's going on until the Holy Spirit comes and leads you into truth and guides you and empowers you. And when that happens, hang on, because you can't even imagine the life that I have for you. Jesus prepared them. He told them what to look for, and then he did it. He gave his life. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was tortured. He suffered a criminal's death, a, a horrible death on the cross with a criminal on his left and a criminal on his right. And he bared the sin of the world from all time past and all time future in his body. And he died and he was put in the tomb. And it was a real death. And the, the women who had been following Jesus came to, to prepare the body because he died on Passover. They could not completely anoint the body for his burial. So they came after Passover to discover that Jesus, in fact, had risen, that he wasn't there, that the person that they came to find was gone because he had come back to life just as he said he would do. And then we pick up in the story in Luke chapter 24, verse 4. While they were wondering this, so they show up at the tomb. He's not there. While they're wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. I love this phrase, this rhetorical question that the angels asked the women. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. See, please understand that when Jesus died and gave his life and he rose again, he did so that we could be an Easter people, that we could be filled with life in Jesus, that we don't have to stay in the tomb, but we can step out into life. See, if we find life in Jesus, then we need to embrace life in Jesus, that he's called us out of the darkness into the light, out of death into life. That's what Jesus came to do for us. It means that some of us, it's time for us to let go of despair and fear and step forward into the life God has for us to know that with counseling, with support, with prayer, with encouragement, that being a part of a body of Christ with people who walk with me and love me, that there can be healing. I don't have to live in the tomb but I can step out. It means that sin can be forgiven. That for many of us, it is time on this day to let go of the shame and the regret and the bitterness of what we've done and how we've struggled to be able to say, yes, I did that, but it's not who I am because I am alive in Christ who sets me free, who has forgiven me and gives me life. And it's time for me to step out of the tomb into life. It means that we understand that life can be transformed and life can be changed. 
that Jesus can come and set people free, that some of us are holding on to baggage and weight and burdens from long ago, and we are not letting it go, and Jesus wants to set us free. Some of us have yet to see hope and life, and we, forgive, we have given up on that person in our life that we just can't make them change, make them see, make them come. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I gave my life for them. And even still, that life can change. We started our service today with a video of uh, some people in our church sharing the, the gospel story of Easter, that Jesus gave his life and he rose from the dead. What you may not know is that every single one of those persons over this last year has suffered a grief, a loss, a major struggle in their life. And here's the one thread of their life that runs through every person. Not a single one of them has given up. See, we can never give up, never underestimate what God is about to do next. And because of that, we can be a people of hope. That ultimately, I don't live in the tomb of despair, of giving up. That I am a person who steps out of the tomb and receives the hope of Jesus. That Jesus is still at work, even when I don't see him, even when I may not hear him. That I trust that Jesus is glorious. He is good. He is God. And he is at work in my life for my good and for his glory. And I will never lose sight of hope that tomorrow could be a new day. And so Jesus is inviting us to be a people who step out of the tomb. He invited the disciples. In fact, he wanted them to understand just what he was about to push them into. And so he appears with them for 40 days after the resurrection. In the gospels, we find specifically three times that Jesus meets with his disciples to encourage them, to show them that I've risen from the dead and to tell them now that you have seen, now that you have lived through this, you've got a story to tell. You, you are witnesses. You've got a mission and a purpose that is greater than anything you could have ever possibly imagined for yourself. And he appears to the disciples and he puts his stamp on it in Acts chapter one, verse eight. This is what he says. Jesus speaking to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and here it is, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in your hometown, in Judea, in your region, in Samaria, to the people who don't look like you, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, I love this rhetorical question, the second rhetorical question of the angels. You got some living to do. Why are you standing here staring at the sky? You're staring at the clouds when Jesus has given you your orders. He's told you what to be about. You got a purpose and a mission and a life. And it's time to get stepping to what God has called you to live your life for. That there's something greater than what you even knew was coming when you started following Jesus. 
And then he tells us a promise. This Jesus who's gone to heaven in the same way is going to return. The revelation of John, the very, very last book of the Bible, gives us this beautiful picture of what this is going to look like. He tells us that in the end, when Jesus is about to come again, that there's going to be a rider on a white horse. And his name will be faithful and true. His name will be the word of God. His name will be the beginning and the end. His name will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this rider will come and his robe is dipped in blood. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who has given his own blood that will defeat and overwhelm and overcome sin and death and evil. And it tells us that he defeats these minions of sin, the beast and the false prophet. And then there's another great battle between God and Satan, the accuser. But the, the battle is never in question of who's going to win the day. It's just a matter of when and how. And it tells us that fire comes down from heaven and defeats Satan once and for all, throws him into the abyss. And then Jesus comes again. And there'll be a resurrection of the dead. And all people will stand before God and be judged. And Jesus will sit on the throne of God. And all whose names are written in the book of life, meaning all of us who put our faith and our trust in Christ, that we surrender to him to follow him. And our name is written in the book of life that we will not be judged for our sin and brokenness, but we will enter into eternal life with God forever be in the presence of our Savior, our Creator, our Redeemer. And then we get a picture of what's coming next in Revelation chapter 21. John tells us by his vision, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And check this out. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, this is Jesus, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And here we go again. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. See, the point of it all, from the very beginning of creation, God's redemptive plan, the thread of Jesus, boils down to this. That God would make a way for us to be his children and for him to be our God. Do we live in anticipation of this? Or are we so consumed 
by what we have to do and our own expectations and our own agendas and the, the things that we think are important, that we totally miss it. I wonder if for some of us, if we need, it's time for us to put on a new lens of what we're looking for and what we see to live in anticipation that I will get to stand before Jesus, my Savior. What would it look like for li to live in anticipation of that? Well, I think it means a couple of things for us. I think number one, it means that Jesus is not just a means to an end. He is everything that we are longing for. So much of the time, don't we treat Jesus like some kind of tool or some kind of key to get into what we really want? Because all of us, we want to get to heaven, right? All of us want to be able to live a good life now. We don't want to suffer, especially for eternity. So we want to get into heaven and we treat Jesus like he's a tool. Well, this is what I really want is heaven. And I know the only way to get there is Jesus. So I've got to get through him. But no, Jesus is not the key. Jesus is everything that we're longing for. You see, if I get to heaven and Jesus is not there, then it's not paradise. If I'm choosing to try to control Jesus and manipulate him rather than worship him, I might miss out on heaven altogether. And if I try to control Jesus and manipulate Jesus, I will definitely miss the kingdom of God at work in me today. He's not some key or some tool. He is God. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings who demands my worship that I would surrender to him. And that when I find him, I find all that I'm looking for. And because of that, Jesus, number two, demands my allegiance, not convenience. I've learned about myself over these last 12 months, just how much I lean into and desire convenience. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but, but that's what I've discovered about myself and that when things get out of control, they get out of my grasp, man, I will fight hard to get control again so that I can make it convenient. I want life to be when I want it, how I want it. You know, just I want it to be in my schedule, in my time, the way that I want it to be. And when I get inconvenient, when, when things get uncomfortable for me, I don't like it. But what I've come to learn in life and ministry is that the very best, most important things of life are not convenient. Think about it. The most important relationships in your life are not convenient. To have a loving, lasting relationship requires commitment, not convenience. There are times where you gotta carry the weight. There are times where somebody else has to carry the weight for you. There are times when it's hard and you gotta show up again and say, I'm still here and I'm still for you. I think about growth. All of us wanna grow, right? None of us want to, to stay in the same place. We wanna mature, we wanna become better people. We wanna be who God wants us to be and who we wanna be. Well, guess what? Growth is not driven by convenience. Growth is driven by persistence and a willingness to take risk to move forward when I don't know where it'll take me. I think about knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom is not driven by convenience. It is driven by a willingness to fail and when I fail, to learn and keep moving forward. 
And most certainly with God, God is anything but convenient. God doesn't say, come to me and be convenient. He says, come and surrender. Come and and trust me. Come and follow me, Jesus said. That was not convenient. They had to turn their back on everything that they knew. But in return, he says, I will give you life. I'll give you hope. I'll give you a future. I'll give you a purpose. And all the expectations you have for your life and for the world are not big enough. You don't have a category to experience what I'm about to bring you into. Because I want to do life with you and in you and through you. Which brings us finally, what does this mean for us? It means that if my religion is ritual without relationship, then I am missing out. See, Jesus came and he gave his life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead, not so that we could follow rules and show up on a Sunday and and be engaged in programs and be here for an hour and check off a box and say, I got it done. Jesus came so that we could have life and have life abundantly and that his spirit would live in us and that we'd be driven into something that we couldn't possibly imagine that we would be too scared to step out into if we knew all that it implied. Jesus is with us and he's living in us. You see, here's the thing is that ritual and rules are manageable. I can say whether or not I did it. I can check off the box. I can show up. I can make it happen. But relationship is messy. Surrender is hard. Trust is scary. That's what Jesus is calling us into because ritual and rules, if it's not pointing us to something greater and bigger than us on its own is fine, but it will never be lasting. It'll never be transformational. It'll never bring hope. It'll never bring life on its own. It's gotta be partnered with something that we have to step into with, with fear and trembling. And that's what God is calling us into, that we would trust him that we would surrender to him, that we would step out of the tomb and into life. Brothers and sisters, please understand, the death of Jesus is real. It is the most logical historical conclusion. The resurrection, the life, Jesus came to life. It was real. It is the most logical historical conclusion, which means if those are true, then it's true that Jesus is coming again and I will stand before him. This is not a game and Jesus is not somebody that we can control or manipulate. This is eternal life. This is the gospel, the good news. This is the purpose and mission that we've been called into. It is everything. It cannot be parked away for me to pull out when I want to. It requires all of me that I go all in with Jesus, but I can do it because Jesus has already gone all in for me. He gave it all. Every ounce of blood he had to give, he gave. Every bit of obedience he gave. Jesus, the creator of the universe, stepped into our creation that we could see the face of God and hear the voice of God and know the love of God. He gave everything he had to give. Because of that, I can give everything that I have 
trusting him. I know this is scary. I know it is. But I think what ought to break our heart, what breaks my heart here in the American church, not just get well, but just our culture that we live in, I believe that we have tied ourselves to the experience of church, meaning a service, an hour, a program, a trip, rather than the person of Jesus. And I believe that because of that, many of us have been flailing over the last year because we've lost that experience that we were so comfortable with. The service, the program, the trip. And we don't know what to do. And so we're wrestling with questions like, well, do I go back to church or not? Do I share my faith with this person or not? Do I take this risk or not? Do I step out in faith or not? What would it look like for us to come together as the body of Christ, not showing up to church, but becoming the church because we're tied not to an experience, but we are tied to the person, our Savior, Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ. How might that change everything? And so if you're here today and you're tired and you're weary, maybe you're apathetic or indifferent or unsure, Maybe you're watching online and you're just not really sure where Jesus fits in your life. I'm begging you to consider, are you tied to the church? Are you tied to the service? Are you tied to a program? Are you tied to the Bible? Are you tied to some information? Or have you become one with Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Today could be the day that you step out in faith and say, I don't wanna have empty religion anymore. I wanna have relationship with God, my savior, because he's made a way. Or maybe you're tired and you're weary and you're struggling because things have just risen up in your life and they're a barrier and a boundary to the grace of God at work in your life. I mean, there's, there's things that are just difficult. There's things that are hard to get through. And if we're doing it on our own, sometimes we just wanna give up or we self-medicate or we do all kinds of other things. Would you consider praying that the Holy Spirit would break down those barriers, break down those walls and say, God, I just want to step out of the tomb. I just want Jesus, I'm desperate for you. I've got hurt, I've got brokenness, I've got healing. Or maybe your world looks fine, but you got greed and you got pride and you got selfishness. And when you step out of the tomb and say, God, would you bring it down? Or maybe you're just here and you're just waiting for an excuse for somebody to tell you, now is the time. Let's start praising Jesus publicly and boldly. Today is the day that we can do that, that we will celebrate Him. Each and every week, we make these altar rails available. If you're here and you'd like to unhitch yourself from the burdens of relationship or religion without relationship, that you wanna stop tying yourself to an experience and tie yourself to the person of Jesus, you can come today. I would love to pray with you. Hunter would love to pray with you that we would just lift up a prayer that says, God, I am broken. I'm a sinner. I'm desperate for you. I'm trusting in you, Jesus, that you do for me what I cannot do. You bore my sin and your life and you defeated it and you rose from the dead and that eternity is waiting. God, would you forgive me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and 
thrust me into new life, we can pray that together. I would just celebrate that. Or if you'd like to come and pray and wave one of us over or pray on your own to break down some walls and break down some barriers in your life. It could be a relationship or a bad decision or or circumstances or just a struggle you're walking through. We can pray for God, the Holy Spirit to bring that down. Or if you wanna come and kneel and just say, God, I'm in awe. I'm just in awe. And it's time for me to start celebrating you. You can come do that as well. So if you'll stand, we're gonna sing one more song together. And as we get into that song, let me pray for us and then we'll continue that prayer individually or you can grab a hand and pray together. Pray together at home. Uh, and just listen to the voice of God speaking over you when he says, I will be your God and you will be my child. Let's pray. God, we love you. We celebrate you. You are the overcomer. You are the redeemer. You are the the savior who came. You gave your life, God. You bore our sins of all time past and all time future. And you brought it to the grave. And then you defeated the grave that we could have life and forgiveness, mercy and grace. God, the audacity of the gospel is not just that we are forgiven, but that you wanna live in us and through us. God, I pray that you send your Holy Spirit right now into this room and the kitchen and living rooms as people gather and listen. Holy Spirit, come and work and stir in our hearts. God, for those of us who have tied ourselves to the church and religion that is not connected to you, it might be connected to information or a feeling or experience. Holy Spirit, breathe life right now. Make the gospel true and real right now that we can surrender to Jesus, confess Jesus, that we can have forgiveness and new life. For those of us, God, who have barriers and walls, break them down. By the power of your Holy Spirit, break them down, Lord. And God, as we celebrate you, hear our praises, please. May they be acceptable and pleasing to you. God, you are God. We know one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we choose to participate in that on this day. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the Word of God. You are faithful and true. And we surrender and worship to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.